You probably are singing uh, today the loudest I've heard in a long time. So well done, because last week, we, if you were here, we recognized we have to grow in this next 10 years, right? And in, in singing to God with hearts that are overflowing with gratefulness is part of that. So I just want to applaud you. Well done. Well, it's Memorial Day weekend, and obviously there's so much going on in the world to lament and to be sad about and to pray that God would bring justice to. Uh, yet it's also a weekend that we do, for, especially for those who are in America or Americans, tomorrow we remember those who gave their lives um, during their service to our nation. So at the same time we're moving, because we go from holiday to holiday, this shifts us towards what we see as summer, right? As school is winding down and every student said, Amen. Thank you, God. But for many, many, for many of us, this weekend is less about remembering and more about catching up. I mean, think about a holiday weekend. What is that for, for many of us? Well, it's an extra day to catch up on the things that we've fallen behind on. Am I the only person that keeps falling behind? I feel like the lists just get longer. I, 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 I check off three things only to add seven. And so a weekend could be uh, to, a, a chance to complete a list. We got to remember, because we're starting a series on Sabbath, that the very rotation of our calendar has radically changed. And the reason that I feel like I'm falling behind and you feel like you're falling behind is actually because about 29 years ago, the world began to speed up. It wasn't until 1993 um, that the internet went public. And for the first time in all of human history, information was now available on dial-up. Some of you remember dial-up. Come on, man. You know, where the internet was actually something you had to plug into and you got slowly. And then, and then a few years later, 2007 is the premiere of the iPhone and the smartphone, and that moved the speed of information from a wall and a line to your hand. We're living in a digital age. And so if you're younger than 29, I was speaking to my niece who's 25 yesterday, and I was saying, you know, when I was in college, we didn't have email. She was like, shut up. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we actually didn't have the internet either. Like blown away because this is the water we all swim in. So if you're less than 30, uh, what I'm going to say may sound shocking. This is not the way the human race has lived for all of history. So what we fail to do sometimes is realize the waters we're swimming in, and so we just go down the waters, and the waters become rapids and out of control. And so what I want us to do in this series and start today by just laying the track work. That's all I'm going to do, lay some tracks so we can ride together, is remember that information has not always been accessible in the palm of your hand. And with that, we have connection like we've never had before. So the average person touches their phone 2,617 times a day. For many, it's 5,000 times a day. So we're connected like we've never been before. We're connected to world events. Why do we feel the weight is because we're seeing the world in real time. Never in humanity did we know what was happening around the world in real time. The challenge we're having in our day, and this has everything to do with how we follow Jesus, 
is what do we do with information overload? We're connected socially like never before. We have friends around the world like never before. We're working like never before because you used to, this is an ancient concept, you used to leave work. Now you're laughing. It was like you clocked out and you went and you enjoyed the rest of the hours and now work is in your pocket. Work is at your fingertips. We're connected to school over the last two years. We have tried to educate ourselves in ways that are just not normal. We're connected to music. We're connected to videos. It's a unique time just to be alive. Now, here's what we have to ask ourselves. All of this connection, what's the cost? It costs something. Not only is a, a smartphone like expensive, but the cost of connection is expensive because we are more connected, yet we've never felt more alone. More accessible to information, yet never more anxious. So if you feel depleted, and if you feel stressed out, and if you feel tapped out, and if you feel like you just need a vacation all the time because the pace has gotten out of control, you are not alone. Even the way we vacation so crazy, we need a vacation from our vacation. We are just out of control. And so the reason we're doing this series now is we're embarking on summer where many of us begin to slow down a little bit, unless you're a mother with, or father with kids who are going to be home all day. That's another story for another day. Summers are hard. But for most of us, we're going we're gonna to look back and we're going to evaluate our lives. So we're putting this in before you get away. Uh, my, my humble goal is that at the end of four weeks, you'll have enough information and enough conversations with people in your community group. It's why we're doing this during community group. We'll learn from one another and reorient a few steps in a healthy direction. It may not change the world over the next four weeks, but if you make one, two, three small course adjustments, it could revolutionize your life. Why does this matter? I was reading an article this week in, in prep for the series um, from Time Magazine, and I'll, I'll just read you the quote of the title of the article. There's worrying new research about kids' screen time and their mental health. I'm going to just quote a part of it. Quote, young people who spend seven hours or more a day on screens are more than twice as likely to be diagnosed with depression or anxiety than those who use screens for an hour a day, according, for an hour a day, according to a new study published in Preventative Medicine Reports. And they evaluated 40,000 kids from 2 to 17. Do you realize over the last two years, we invited our students to be on their screen for more than seven hours a day, and it's no wonder everyone's so anxious. So this is why we're doing it now. Okay, let me just ask you as a test. How healthy are your life rhythms right now? Your, your pace of life, your focus, your priorities, how are you doing right now? this moment in taking what we all have an equal amount of time. We all have 24 hours a day. We all have seven days a week. No one gets more. No one gets less. But how are we using them? And let me ask the broader question because we're in, in God's space. We're God's people gathered together in Jesus' name. Are we factoring Jesus and his way of investing his time in our lives. 
And I'm going to suggest that we, as God's people, rather than asking Jesus to guide us on the streams of living water, we've just started to swim and go down our cultural rapids, which are erratic and out of control. And so, thus, a conversation on Sabbath. All right, again, today is just to lay the, you have to break the groundwork to lay the groundwork. And so, I have to disrupt our thinking on how we're using time to even get us in a place. Because some of you are like, I don't even know if I have time to listen to you right now, Jose. And therein lies the problem. We have the time. What are we doing with the time? Okay, what is Sabbath? Sabbath, the word, comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which simply means to cease or to stop. When you hear the word Sabbath in the Bible, although it's used as something a people did and were to do, the word means stop. And growing up, I heard very little about Sabbath. And whenever I heard about it, it was always about what these ancient people, the people called Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all before Jesus, that they did. So does Sabbath even matter to us, does it? Does Sabbath just uh, become a history lesson on what an ancient people did? Does Jesus want us to Sabbath? And if Jesus does, which we're doing a series, duh, I'll give you the answer. The answer is yes. What does that look like? What should it look like for you? All right, to build this foundation, our friends on the other side of the river at the Bible Project put together a great video introduction. It will lay the foundation, and then we're going to open our Bibles, and we're going to begin to see where Sabbath fits in the Word of God. So let's just watch the video on the screen. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. Yeah, in biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Yes. Now keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in the Bible. It begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish. And this happens over the course of six days. Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Right. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. It's like a day with no end. On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans, who are appointed to rule the world with God forever. Kings and queens of the seventh day rest. I can get into that. But the humans are deceived by a dark power and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness where they have to work as slaves to the land. Until they die and return to the dust from which they came. But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can share it with others. But how? They're in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who's grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt and he liberates the Israelites, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land. Now, while they're on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost, life is a struggle, 
they're not in the land of rest yet. But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. But how do you practice the future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day they are to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. So take a whole day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come. Yeah, this is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more. The Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that Israel practiced every year, each one anticipating that seventh day rest. That is a lot of sevens. And there's even more. Every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. And then every seven times seven years was the ultimate seventh day rest called the year of Jubilee. If anyone had lost their land or gone into debt, all was forgiven, everything restored. Wow, so the Sabbath, these feasts, the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing towards the hope of future rest. Right. Now, when the Israelites went into the land, they forgot their God, and so they forfeited their chance for rest in the promised land. They're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation, led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would end one day and that the ultimate jubilee of freedom and rest would come, but generations go by and they're still waiting. It's at this dark point in the story that Jesus appears and he launches his public mission on a Sabbath day. Yeah, he read aloud from the scroll of Isaiah saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. What did he mean, this is the year of the Lord's favor? He was talking about the ultimate jubilee. Also, Jesus is claiming that seventh day rest would come through him. Right, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath and he confronted disorder and darkness in all of its forms, liberating people from sickness, sin, even from death itself. Yet, Jesus was killed, so even his work was undone. Well, it seemed that way. But notice, Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath and on the eighth day, he rose from the dead. Oh wait, the eighth day? You mean the first day of a new week? Exactly. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of future rest. But we're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness, where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now by following him, or in his words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not bad, huh? Well, that's hopefully helpful, and you can go to BibleProject.com and, and download that video and watch it again. Okay, a lot was said there, but hopefully it gives you the big picture that Sabbath isn't a concept for just one people at one time. It actually goes back to the beginning, and even though the word Shabbat doesn't show up in Genesis 1 and 2, when it talks about the six days of creation and the seventh day, the concept of God pausing and resting and stopping is there. So here's what I want us to do in the remainder of our time. And really, this is part one because we want to press in on some basic questions this week. If you're in one of our community groups, we want to invite you to share your expression of what work and rest means, of what 
of what working hard and stopping looks like and what Jesus might be inviting you into. But let's look at the Bible first. We're going to look at a bunch of passages. The first one's in the Old Testament. It's the Ten Commandments. It's Exodus 20. And this is where um, Tim was referring in the video of God speaking to these people called Israel. Exodus 20, we'll start in verse 8, and we'll read through verse 11, right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath or a stop to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, uh, you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested, he stopped on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and, and he, made it, he made it holy. Now you got to remember, when was this given? Because context matters. Uh, God's people were brought out of 400 years of brutal slavery. 400 years God's people lived under the Egyptian rule, hear me, without a day off. There was no guaranteed pause, rest, stop, worship, reflect, enjoy. There, there was no option. There was absolute oppression. And when God saves, rescues his people, what's one of the first things that he does? He reorients their life around him. And so God gives as a gift, not as a rule, but as a gift to his people, for 400 years, your people were not able to pause and worship and enjoy the blessing of my provision. You were under the thumb of the enemy. But now that you've been set free, hear this, live like a free people. In other words, you don't have to live like the culture you're in, which says, go, 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 and those in leadership will force you to move, move, move until you can move no longer. You're actually free to live as God intended. And by the way, this was absolutely radical. And when they were going to step into the land, they were moving into a space that was living like a machine where the kings and the queens and the lords made all the rules. And if you were under them, you had no rights. See, our challenge is we live in a country that has inalienable rights. But he's speaking to a people who have none. So he's like, reorient your life. And notice, Sabbath was for everyone. I love it. Moms and dads, you can't make your kids work. Oh, you have servants, you have workers, you can't get them to do your job. Oh, oh you have animals, you can't set. No, everyone in your home is free. Because God is a rescuer, and you can trust him. And God is a provider, you can trust him. And the way you demonstrate your faith in Jesus is to live the way he intended. And how do I know I'm living the way he intended? Is he set me to work, and he set me to rest. Now, for 40 years, God's people wandered in the desert 
And as they're about to enter the land, Moses restates the nature of their covenant agreement with God, and it's in a book called Deuteronomy. So, so God says to the people, this is a gift. Hey, remember it. This is for you. But they don't necessarily do that, even while roaming the desert for 40 years. So notice the second occurrence. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and, and Moses is retelling it to the younger generation, and there's a small nuance I want you to see. Deuteronomy 5, I'll start in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your ox, your donkey, any of your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you up out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. All I want you to see here real quick is there's a shift from remember to observe. Why? We are slow to listen and follow, aren't we? So one generation later, hey, remember, this is a gift. This is for you. You've never been able to stop. Now I'm blessing you. I've rescued you. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And within one generation, it goes from remember to now observe it. This is a command. This is so important. And for those of you parents, you know you start with suggestion, and then you move to command. And if a child follows healthy suggestion, there's no need for a command. But unfortunately, we, like God's people, we are quick to go back to endless work and not receive the gift. And for us, when we think about Sabbath, what we need to think about is trust. If God says, you get a day, will we trust him? If God says, you do not have to endlessly work because I'm the rescuer, I'm the provider, do we believe it? And the way we show we believe him is by living in his way. And from the beginning, the creation order has been seasons of work followed by moments of rest. And out of our rest, we're able to work. And out of our work, we can enjoy the faithfulness of God and rest. Now, if you fast forward throughout most of the periods between the giving of the command and the coming of Jesus, God's people tried to, to really follow this command by asking the question, what is work? So by the time of Jesus, there was in what's called the, the Mishnah, the, the writings, the interpretations of the Jewish law, there were, there were all these oral traditions about what constituted work. How many steps could you take before you considered that work? What could you lift? How heavy could it be? How far could you go? And so God's people were trying to honor, do not work. But like most of us, we turn a good God thing in, into a machine. And so, so Jesus decides to bring us back to the way Sabbath was intended. How do I know this? Mark chapter 2, verse uh, 23, an account from Jesus. One Sabbath day, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. And they began to pick some heads of grain. So they're hungry. They're walking through a field. They, they pick grain. 
Now the Pharisees, the interpreters of, of the traditions, said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Because their tradition had said that to pick the grain from the field would be work. Why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? And, and Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he, David, entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And I'm not going to spend time to get into all the logistics here, but basically what Jesus says is you've taken God's good rule, God's good law, and you haven't understood the heart of it. The heart of it from the beginning is that Sabbath was a gift. And you've turned it in the way you're trying to live this out, and you've, you've, you've made it impossible for anyone to do anything. Rather than encouraging people, you're discouraging people. And Jesus says, well, you, you respect King David, even though David technically broke the law, but you respect him as God's good king. Oh, by the way, I'm greater than David. I'm actually even greater than the Sabbath. The Son of Man is, is Lord over it. All right, that's, that's a, a bit of foundation. Now let's get to some practical questions. And then each week, we're going to pick up one dimension. Don't miss any of these. If you have to travel, catch the podcast. We're going to pick one specific dimension of Sabbath in the next three weeks and really tease it out. Do Jesus followers need to keep the Sabbath? This is the magic question because growing up, depending on your tradition, some would say no, others would say yes. I think here we need some nuance. It depends on what you're asking. Like, what do you mean by keeping Sabbath? Sabbath at the time of Jesus was Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. Everyone, the entire people kept it together. No shops were open, no trade, no commerce. This was, this was what the, the commandment they were to obey. So you couldn't pick another day. Um, so I think in that sense, in the way God instructed the ancient people, Israel, before the coming of Messiah Jesus, I don't think that we are under those obligations any longer. And I'll tell you why. Colossians 2, verses 16 through 17. A letter written to the church by one of the apostles reflecting on, in light of Jesus, how do we live his way? Notice what he says. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, kosher or non-kosher. Or with regard to religious festivals, referring back to the seven Jewish festivals, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day from Friday night to Saturday night. These are all a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So the, the, what, what Paul here says, the Sabbath guidelines that were given to the ancient people of Israel, now that we're followers of the Messiah Jesus, and in the church, there were people who had Hebrew, Israeli tradition, and those, there were people who had Greek and non-Israeli tradition. Now that we're in God's family called the church, does everyone have to keep the ancient Israeli practice of Sabbath 
Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Obviously, he says, no. Um, Part of their uh, Sabbath keeping was gathering to read from the Torah, from the Word of God, and sing hymns of praise and to pray. So they went to synagogue or they went to temple during the Sabbath. And we know that the early Jesus people uh, shifted from worship on Saturday to Sunday. So the ancient tradition as it's given, I don't think we are called to follow. Sabbath, as they were to practice it, is a shadow. It was leading towards this freedom, this salvation, this new way of living that is in Jesus. So on the one hand, uh, no, Sabbath as defined to Israel, no. But, and this is where we make a troubling distinction in our modern day, we have to remember in the first 1,800 or so years of the Jesus movement, up until the last 100, 150, maybe 200 years, God's people, the church, have always practiced a form, a Sabbath, calling it the Lord's Day. I'm old enough to remember, I don't remember when stores, uh, stores were completely closed on Sunday, but they had very limited hours. That goes back to the practice when we weren't all wired to our phones, when we weren't all wired to a digital age, it was easier to say, I work, and then I stop, and I worship on the Lord's day. And worship was not an hour and a half gathering. It was not the Lord's moment, not the Lord's space, not the Lord's time slot. It was the Lord's day. And it was a day to enjoy that I'm not a machine I'm not a robot. I'm a human. And God made me for himself. So I get to enjoy time with God and time with family and time to relax because I'm not a slave in Egypt. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to the world. I'm no longer a slave to the system. I've been set free. And I want to live as a free person trusting in Jesus. And if Jesus can provide For my six days a week, he could provide for the seventh day. And the way I show trust in Jesus shows up on my calendar. Faith has feet. And faith in Jesus leads me to say, I'm now going to trust him. I don't have to produce seven days a week. In that sense, my friends, we in our digital age have to rediscover Sabbath for sure. We have to lean in because we're living in Egypt again. It's a subtle Egypt. It's a digital Egypt. It's an attractive Egypt. But this non-stop slavery and addiction to information and connection is not leading to the flourishing life. And that is why since, and I'm not blaming Apple or the iPhone, but since the invention and the expansion of the iPhone, anxiety, particularly amongst young people, has increased every single year and will continue to because there's a cause and effect when we break God's blessing and when we don't stop. All right. One line that will guide the next few weeks, write it down, memorize it. 
Sabbath is our invitation to stop, to worship, and to enjoy. When you think of Sabbath, don't think of rules. Don't think about what I can't do. Think about what you can do. You are invited to stop. Sabbath is less about regulation and is more about invitation. God is saying, I've set you free. And remember, I'm the provider. So here's where I want to make a, a, a practical distinction. When I say Sabbath, you're like, Jose, I already take a day off. Sabbath is not a day off. Sabbath is a holy, a set-apart, altogether different day. On a day off, most of us do work. We do what we call the non-paid work. Like, right, no one's paying you to mow your lawn, mow your own lawn. No one's paying you to get your groceries, get your own groceries. Like, so, so I'm doing the work of life. I'm, I'm just not employed for that, right? And somebody said, well, I'm, I'm a mom or I'm a dad of young kids. I never get a day off. Partly true. But there's a difference between a day that's set apart to stop, to worship, to connect, to rest, to in, enjoy God and his people. So usually it's an, an errand day. So I'm going to give you a little bit of my story. And that could either help or hurt. And I recognize it. But the only thing I, do, I can tell you, uh, this is not how I grew up. This is not, I went, I went and got, I got a bachelor's in theology and no one talked about this. I started in ministry and went seven days a week because I thought that Jesus gave me seven days to serve him. I went to seven serving days and no one, I was given no instruction about this. It's probably 12, 13 years ago. And it took a while to reorient. But for now, what is, what's the difference between a day off and a Sabbath? So our, our office is closed because we all work on Sundays. We're closed Friday and Saturday. So Thursday night for me, I finish my message. I email it out to friends to pray over, to critique, to make it better. I finish my emails and my email is off. The first thing that we can do, every one of us, can for 24 hours turn the devil off. Turn it off. Off. The work one, off. The personal one, off. And you say, well, I can't turn it off. It wasn't even invented till like 30 years ago. You can turn it off. You won't turn it off. And therein lies the problem. So email's off. And for me, Friday is Sabbath. Now, my wife works. So right now in the season, we're not able to enjoy all of that together before she was working, we enjoyed all of it together. And so I don't cook on that day. I'll throw together breakfast, but I don't do big meal planning and all that. It's either made in advance if we eat it, or if we can afford it, we'll eat out. It's a day where I love to read, but I'm not reading to produce anything. I read all the time for work, but I'm reading for joy. I have extended Bible reading, extended prayer, extended walks, listening to worship. Um, I'm a people person, I spend the Sabbath with people because that's life-giving to me. If it's not for you, then, then don't. It's a day for joy. I love to golf, so I'll go play with friends, sometimes with friends that I know. Sometimes I'll purposely go out and just play around with strangers because I want to meet new people. I want to talk about Jesus. You could talk about Jesus on the Sabbath. Novel idea. Uh, I'll, I'll watch extended sports on TV and and fall asleep on the couch, and it's okay. I'm, I, I have time with friends. 
So our community group meets on Thursday nights. So I'm not checking stuff after that. Our community group together, praying for each other, loving one another, eating a meal together. And then I don't turn my email off on till Saturday. So for me, it's more like 36 hours. And I'm, I'm happy to increase that. And my mental health is better because of it. So if you're a parent, though, you say, like, whoa, how do I do this? Well, we always work in a way that's bringing healing to others. So Jesus had no problem healing on the Sabbath, helping on the Sabbath. So you're still going to parent on the Sabbath. But what you can do is you can find ways, small ways, to make that an altogether different day. Then on Saturdays, uh, I'm finishing my message as I get feedback on Saturday morning and I'm doing home stuff and shopping. But I, I, as much as I can, I'm not legalistic. If I need fuel in my car, I will drive it to get fuel and drive. So can you drive on the Sabbath? Well, if you've been to Israel, you know that there are the Sabbath elevators where on Saturday, it will literally stop on every floor so that someone doesn't mistakenly press the button and do work. It's a real thing. I, I don't know if that's the spirit of the freedom that we find in the Messiah. And so what I'm here to say is, it, this is not something that you just turn the switch on and you, you immediately fix. It's something that you work towards. I, I want to suggest this for you and just take it as a suggestion. This isn't Bible. But because we gather on Sundays, make this part of your Sabbath. It could be, for many of you, you go from noon on Saturday till noon today. If you have to do some errands, if you have to do some, some, some stuff, get it all done before lunch. And then from lunch through the evening, enjoy family time, friendship, rest, and then wake up, and it's the Lord's Day, and worship, and, and, and go through the lunch. And then, and then if, if there have to be some things done, that's your, well, that's not sundown to sundown. So what? The, the point is that we're moving this direction. You say, well, I, I, can't, I can't do 24 hours. You could do 12. You could make Sunday morning through to Sunday post-lunch. I'm not, I'm not I'm not reading my feed. I'm not, I'm not working. I'm not, I'm not cleaning. I'm, not, I'm, I'm coming to God's space with God's people to enjoy him. And I can, I'm, I'm free to do that. Okay. I know that this is gut-wrenchingly hard. And for some of you, this is an altogether mind-blow concept. You're like, I'm going to have to read my Bible because I don't think this is in there. I'm convinced this is not in there. And I may need to find another church because this is false doctrine. <laughs> no, some of you are already living in this way. I could say, as your children get older, it is, it is less complicated to do. It is way more complicated when the littles are little, little. But you can take steps. And in that, you can help raise your kids in a way that goes against the system that is saying you're a machine that can go 24-7. For some of you, this is like a brand new concept and it's frightening and I get it. It seems impossible for some of you. You're even saying, Jose, I'll be honest, I don't even want that kind of life. And, that, and that's okay. Hang in there. 
listen over the next three weeks. Get together, and if you're not in the community group, just talk with another Jesus loving person. Ask these honest questions. Learn from someone else who's following Jesus. And I would say, take one step in God's direction and you will find blessing. I'm 13 or so years into this. I will never go back. Not because I have to, but because I've learned that God is enough and that Jesus has actually set me free to enjoy him. And as we're going to learn in the next few weeks, in our digital age, where people are moving away from any center around Jesus, this will be one of the most attractive, Jesus-loving, good news-sharing aspects of following the Savior. That we have learned a better way from the better one, and his name is Jesus. Lord, we, we want to step into your life and into your rhythm, and we'll confess, God, We have ignored you. We've ignored wisdom. We've listened to our cultural lies that are screaming more. And we're feeling the effects. So God, we start with repentance. We turn from a non-Jesus-centered way back to you, Lord Jesus. And now we invite you, Holy Spirit of God, because the truth makes us free to bring about freedom in the way we think and breathe and live and eat and enjoy and work. God, we want to be even more productive in the six days because we honor you on the seventh day. And in that, we want the world to know they can be set free from the machine because we're a free people. God, we pray that you'll do something rich and deep and profound in our lives and in this church and in our families and in our city and in our world. Use us, Lord, to be a light to the nations that you still save. We pray these things in Jesus' name.